Morning, everybody. My name is Kevin. I serve here on our pastoral staff, and uh, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, good morning to those of you out there uh, online. It's good that you can join us uh, this morning as well. Uh, today, I get a, I have a special friend here to, uh, to introduce. Sid, come on up here. Uh, this is Sid Coop. Sid Coop is uh, a friend of ours. Uh, he is in town for a youth workers uh, conference that he was speaking at, and uh, I've already heard some really great feedback from that from Connor this morning, of, who was there, just talking about the opportunities that come with uh, youth and with anxiety and uh, all those kinds of things. That sounds wonderful. I don't think you're talking about that, but uh, if you want to talk to some of those people that were at the conference this weekend, you certainly can, and uh, there's lots to, to glean there. Uh, one little tidbit. Uh, about uh, Sid that I learned this morning is he has a great appreciation for a, a German dialect called called Low German, and uh, if you want to get to know uh, more about that, you can talk to Sid after about his uh, his Low German. What you know, one line or something like that in Low German. It's going to be a pretty quick conversation. It's quick quick conversation there. So yeah, okay. So uh, let me pray uh, for Sid, and then we're good to go. Is your green light on? It's you're you're, on. you're it's kind of scratching on. back I'm here, wonderful. and I'm there. You go. Okay, you're on. Thank okay, you. let me pray. Lord, thanks for Sid. Thank you that he's here. Uh, open our hearts uh, and our minds to what you have to say through him uh, about your word. And uh, God, just open up. Uh, we open ourselves up to you. And uh, may you use Sid in amazing ways uh, for your glory this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. Thank, Thank you. you. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's a real privilege to be with you here this morning. Um, I have uh, I've interacted with Forest Grove Church over the years in a lot of different ways. Uh, my wife and I and our boys spent about 12 summers where we would travel all summer speaking at camps. And so uh, three camps in this area that we would speak at, many, have spoken at many times was uh, Camp Kadish, of course, uh, Redberry Bible Camp, and, um, and Ranger Lake Bible Camp. And that's where I met Chandra and Kirk. In fact, the first time I remember meeting them, you won't remember this, but you were incredibly intimidating to me. Chandra like, didn't even smile, hardly look at me. And Kurt had tattoos like halfway up his head. And that was problematic. Like I thought, oh, that's fascinating. And he's going to kill me. So that was kind of, that was like, I was like, oh, welcome to camp. This is going to be wonderful here. And, uh, and then, uh, but of course, as got to know them uh, grew to love them very much. Chandra's been a part of our team with Youth Worker Community for almost a decade, Chan, huh? Almost a decade. And God has given us uh, a great opportunity to encourage and equip youth workers um, across the country. That's part of what we do to better disciple the kids that, that God's placed in their care. And so it's been a real privilege to do it. We do conferences. We run a two-year school called The Coalition um, for training vocational youth workers. And, um, and it's just been a gift to be a part of this. And so to be here in Forest Grove, I actually I feel an affinity uh, for this space more than, than the chance that maybe a couple of you can speak Plotage. More than that, just to be really clear, I feel a great affinity here. We serve a good God. Not just good, incredibly powerful. And we serve a God who has declared that he will build his church, clearly build his church. Isn't it funny over the last three years, how many times have you wondered if the church will actually survive what the journey's been? Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's just been moments where I've gone, man, if we don't get to gather again, Lord, like it's been like 15 months, it's been like two years, if we don't get to gather, is your church going to survive? And then I think the Father, he just says, oh, haven't you seen my faithfulness? Do you know what I mean? Haven't you seen it? And then if you're like me, some of us go, well, if we could just get back to the good old days, Lord, then things could be so much better. Could we just get back to the good old days? And then I hear the Spirit saying, what days are you speaking of? 
Ever since Genesis chapter 3, there's been no such thing as the good old days. And then he says things like, hey, do you, do you understand the gap between the end of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, how long the quote-unquote church didn't hear from God? 400 years. And yet still he chose to build his church. Do you know what I mean? Um, my friends, we have a God who is so wonderful and so good and so at work. My wife tends to remind me every once in a while that it's even in spite of me that he's at work. Do you know what I mean? I'd like to think it's kind of because of me. That's kind of the rare end of the spectrum, to be honest with you. In spite of us, he continues to work. We serve a good God. I think the struggle is he doesn't always work in the way that we would like him to or even expect him to. Isn't that true? That's the hard one for us. So my wife is the um, executive director of Green Bay Bible Camp. We live in Kelowna, British Columbia. Just to be clear, I grew up in Manitoba. Went to school at Briarcrest, and so, um, so this is not shocking to me. This is beautiful. We get to see sun. In Kelowna, we spend these four months with much cup. We don't get to see anything because we have all the clouds, and, and it's hard for us. This is beautiful. It's so good to be in this space. So thankful. So thankful. We live in Kelowna right now, and we run a camp. She runs the camp in Kelowna. This past year, uh, she hired our organization to be a part of the leadership development and discipleship of our students. This is miraculous, my friends. We once tried to work together about 20 years ago when we first got married. It almost ended our marriage, okay? So the Lord is good. The Lord is good, I'm here to say. And so, uh, so we did well together. It was so good. And at the beginning of the summer, we took our staff. We're an urban camp, so we're right in the middle of the city on the beach. And uh, we have housing right around us. And one of the things we consistently pray is that God would give us favor with our neighbors and we could share the love of Jesus with them in a tangible and real way. And I remember one evening we took our staff, we hiked a mountain so we could see at night over the whole uh, West Kelowna City and we just prayed this, Father, could you do this in a way that we haven't experienced before? That, <laughs> hey, can I just say when we ask the Lord to move and we ask him to do things, just maybe set aside your preconceived notions of how he's going to do that. Do you know what I mean? And instead, just maybe focus on the character of who he is. He's good, he's powerful, he's wise. You've got to try, because sometimes it's hard to see. So in the middle of the summer, we're about four weeks in. My wife was on the dock, on the water. We had family camp. We were just about ready to go to a campfire. I had actually gone back to the house real quick, was coming back. As I came back from the house, we had ambulances and fire trucks all over our beach. And what had happened is, and, and my wife came in, and we were in, the, sorry, we were in the middle of an emergency engagement. As I got to the beach... Uh, one of our lifeguards came running by with a spinal board, asked me to grab the spinal board. We went there. And then immediately as we got to the place where there was a person on the beach and we, they, started, they were doing like triage with that individual, someone said there's more bodies in the water. And so what happened was our staff, teenagers, came, ran, hooked arms, and began to do the search that they'd been taught to do. A few of us jumped in under the dock, started searching. What had happened is a boat had been coming across the lake. And our staff were on the dock watching this boat. As it came towards our dock, it didn't throttle down. In fact, it just went flying right past. And it hit the dock right next to us, actually. When it hit the dock next to us, the boat actually jumped over the dock over two children that were standing on the dock and just missed them. In fact, our um, waterfront director saw the boat heading at the kids, and he turned away because I can't see this. Launched over, missed the two children, and missed the individual sitting on a sea on the other side. But when it hit the water, it ejected the driver into the water immediately, and then the boat smashed into the next set of docks. At that point, our head lifeguard who saw it activated the rest of our team, 
He was in the water almost first, found the body, pulled her onto the board, and began doing CPR, got her to shore. And that night, of course, we gathered our staff, and we began to pray, and we began to process after we'd finished everything that had happened, and finally the ambulances showed up. And I remember at the end of the night, my wife and, um, and my friend Lisette, who's with us here this, this, this morning, walked, um, were walking back kind of towards our dorms, and one of the RCMP officers were there, and they just stopped and talked to the RCMP officer. And the RCMP officer, as they were talking, turned to us and said, hey, are you people of faith? And we're like, yeah, I thought the Bible camp thing might have pointed that out. <laughs> Apparently our marketing isn't that great. <laughs> said, um, yeah, we are, and the, and the RCMP officer just says, well, I'm not, but tonight I saw a miracle. And, uh, and the miracle is interestingly twofold. The miracle was like more people should have passed away in that moment. Um, but what I saw was a group of teenagers self-sacrificially enter into chaos and move with like clarity and mission for the good of others. And it was powerful in the life for that RCMP officer. That was like the first movement. The second thing that happened, of course, was when the grandma of the person that got ejected from the boat showed up at camp to say thank you to our team. Why? Because her daughter was alive because of them. And she came and she said, you saved my daughter's life. And I'm not a person of faith, but I got to say thank you to you for what you did. We thought, oh, that's pretty cool. All some things are starting to ripple. And then it was pretty awesome when the RCMP showed up at our camp and offered our staff the highest civic recommendation that RCMP can give for acts of duty and good that civilians can do. And also, that started getting out, and people started talking about that, and then we started going, oh, Lord, look at you, answering our prayers, allowing us to be a light, allowing us to serve in ways that we didn't want to serve. We hadn't planned, that was not our game plan. Our game plan was maybe we could do like a VBS or something. That would be awesome. Do you know what I mean? Maybe you could hear our courses from the fireside, and maybe the Spirit would use that to like renew your spirit. Maybe something like that. We're not talking like bringing dead people to life. That's not what we were thinking about, okay? We thought that was pretty cool. And then I think my favorite story, the favorite story I heard was in September when one of the family campers that had been with us were in a business meeting in Vancouver. And all of a sudden, an individual at that business meeting in Vancouver that he'd never met before started a conversation and said, hey, you know, you guys, the craziest thing happened this summer. He goes, we were renting a condo in Kelowna right beside this camp. Weird group of people, whatever, you know, singing songs. And so, you know... And he goes, this boat smashed into the dock next door. And it was tragic. And all of a sudden, as this happens, I see these group of teenagers come running over from this Bible camp, and they just form up, and they head into this water, and they're just actively together looking to save lives. He goes, I was so inspired. I just hooked up with them. I just jumped in the water. We hooked arms and we're in. And I'm like, we got random people saving lives with our staff. This is incredible. I wondered who the creepy guy was hanging out in the dorms. It was him. No, just kidding. We didn't get that far. We have good, we have like, we have security and safety. (laughs) So much apparently. And then he turns to the people beside him. He goes, I got to tell you, I've been sending my kids to this other camp down the lake. It's not happening again. They're going to Bible camp next year. And I'm just like, come on, Jesus, are you kidding me? Hey, here's what I need you to know. Our God is on the throne. And he is at work. He is at work. And he's going to build his church. He's going to continue to gather people 
who are transformed by the love of Jesus and who will radically sacrifice themselves for the good of others, even in a culture that completely doesn't understand them. And he's going to build his church. We don't have to worry about that. The church is not going anywhere. Comfort might be going somewhere. Functioning in comfort is probably going somewhere. But the church isn't because Jesus is going to build his church. And one of the reasons why I love that you're working through the book of Acts right now is because I think it reminds us that at the very beginning of the church, Jesus worked in like ways people didn't understand or see to powerfully found and build his church. And we need to remember that, right? So we're in Acts chapter 9, really quick. We're in Acts chapter 9 at the very beginning of the church being developed and starting to reach and move and transform people's lives. And in Acts chapter 9, and you can move there, in verse 1, we see the story of Saul's conversion taking place. By the way, for for those of you who are maybe exploring faith or trying to understand what this is about, um, Saul was an individual at the beginning in the time of Jesus who was dead against the church. Everything in him wanted to persecute the church. He wanted to destroy it. He actually thought that the church was in the way of the movement of God. He thought he was doing God's work by destroying the church, and so he was standing against it. And in the very beginning of chapter 9, it says this, but Paul still breathing thre- or Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of, at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called the church, they were showing a new way of being, a new way of living in forgiveness, a new way of living in love, a new way of living in community, a new way of self-sacrifice for the good of others. They were called the way, following Jesus' way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. But Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. The house of Judas, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And this is where I want to camp for just a minute, verse 13. But Ananias answered. So this is one of the followers of the way. He's been trying to escape the persecution that that Saul is bringing. Jesus meets with Saul. Has, a, has an incredible life-changing encounter with Saul, and then he comes to Ananias, he says, I need you to go to this person who's been trying to kill you, and I want you to like, care for him. And in verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And Ananias is like, listening to Jesus, he's hearing Jesus, and Jesus is saying, I need you to go to Saul, and Ananias is saying, if I go to Saul, we're not going to build the church, Lord. If I go to Saul, he's trying to destroy the church. This is a really bad plan you have, Jesus, a really bad plan. And I wonder if what Ananias heard from Jesus was this, Ananias, I will call whoever I want to build my church. 
whoever I want to build my church, you need to go. I think the first thing that I hear when I read this passage is this, my friends, we have a God who is in control. It's interesting, Ananias says, hey, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And Jesus says, he has no authority other than what I give him. That's what Jesus says. Friends, we serve the king. We serve the one who is the owner of all things. He has authority over all things. You know, we live in a culture that says we individually have authority. We are the ones who are the definers of our way, our lives. We are self-sustaining. We are the ones that can own and move and be whatever we want to be, correct? That's what we say. In some ways, it began way back in the day when Rene Descartes said, I I breathe, therefore I am, or I know, therefore I am, I am, I am. And Jesus says, you don't breathe and you don't know unless I say you do that because I am. That's what God says. He says, I am. He says, there is nothing that ultimately has authority over Jesus. We are limited. We're limited by our lack of vision. We're limited by lack of control. We're limited by lack of education. But nothing limits our God. And he has said that he will build his church. And here's what's amazing about Jesus. You know, there's nothing that limits him, and there's absolutely nothing he can't redeem. Isn't that amazing about our God? Isn't that good news that there's absolutely nothing he can't redeem? Especially for those of us who acknowledge we need redemption. Do you know what I mean? Especially for those of us who sit here today with a little bit of shame because of the things we did yesterday or the things we said last week or the things we thought before. For those of us who wondered if maybe God could even work, we wonder and we go like, for those of us who know we need redemption, it's so good news to hear that there's nothing he can't redeem. And the reason we know that is because that's what he did with Paul. He redeemed him. The one who is coming to destroy the church, Jesus says, no, I'm going to use you to build the church. And whatever authority you had before is nothing compared to the authority that I have here and now. And I think some of us, this is amazing to me, to come to a place where we understand, okay, God will choose whoever he wants to choose to do his work. That's just, he's in control. The very foundation, by the way, of what it means to be a follower of Christ is coming to a place where we acknowledge that we no longer have control, but he does. That's the radical foundation nature of what it means to follow Jesus. But sometimes I forget that, especially when I think he's calling me into his mission. And I realize that I just don't have what it takes to do his mission. And then he says, it's not about you anyways. It's actually about me. He chooses whoever he wants to choose. And he calls us to do his mission and he does his work. The first reality is this, that Jesus will call whoever he wants to build his church. But the second reality of this, because he does things that we just, we just don't expect him to, is the way he wants to build his church is often through the suffering of his people. Now, this seems weird to us, correct? I mean, this doesn't resonate with us at all, especially in a culture that says we should do whatever feels good, whatever makes us happy, whatever is comfortable. Like, none of this works for us. In fact, one of the lines that we often hear is, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Isn't that true? And then when I think of wonderful, I think about healthy, I think about financially stable, I think about, all, I think about all these beautiful, wonderful things, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, like, if you love me and you've called me to a wonderful life, I'm like, I'm in, that's excellent. Listen to Jesus' wonderful call to Paul's life. Listen to what he says. Verse 14, it says this, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And then in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, How beautiful is it to be chosen by God? Isn't that wonderful? 
And then he says, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. We're like, yes, I want to do significant things. This is amazing. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Wait a second. Not sure I'm signing up for that one. Do you know what I mean? Can you imagine how powerful our evangelistic efforts would be if we just went to people and said, hey, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your suffering. Yeah, you should join us. It's going to be great. Yeah, this is what we do. Whoever says that? Like, who would say something like that? Jesus does. Do you know the line that Jesus used more than any other line when he called people to follow him in the New Testament? It was this. If you want to be my disciples, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. Did you know that this is the line that he said more than anything else? That if we are going to be his disciple, we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. This is the calling that he has placed on our lives. That we have this call to go forward and suffer for the good of others. How is this transformative? How does this change lives? Okay, two things. First of all, how do we do this? The first way we do this is if we see that the beauty of Jesus and the goodness of his call is greater than anything we could lose. Is that not correct? Isn't this what happened to Paul? If you take a look at the scriptures and you go on, it says further, further in like verse 26 and 27, he says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had then preached boldly the name of Jesus. And Paul knew this was going to cost him. But he boldly preached the name. Why? Because he saw Jesus and he realized that nothing compared to Jesus. When he saw the goodness and the beauty of Jesus, he said, nothing compares to you. Whatever I have to lose is nothing compared to you. Hey, my friends, the reason why we don't suffer well is because we don't see well. I think that's the reason. I think the number one fight for faithfulness when it comes to following Jesus is not primarily the fight to do, it's actually the fight to see. To see the beauty and goodness of Jesus. If we want to pass faith on to the next generation, by the way, our number one call is not what they need to do. Our number one call needs to be what they see. And by the way, the place that they most clearly see it is in the people that claim to have seen Jesus. You know, last year, Alpha, with Barnett Research Institute, did a research project on evangelism in Gen Z, the next generation. And here's the thing they found that kind of stood out in their research, that Gen Z is not so concerned about the truth of Jesus Christ, they're very concerned about the goodness of Jesus Christ. They're not asking the question, is he true? They're asking the question, is he good? And do you know where they're looking for the answers? They're looking at you and I. And they're watching the way that we live for Jesus, and they're asking, do you believe Jesus is good? And do you know where that, where that answer is most clearly declared to them? It's not in the good times. It's not in the times when we got the raise and we say, praise Jesus, I just got the raise. It's not in the time when, like, you know, we get the healthy report and we say, praise Jesus, I got health. Those are good. We should do that. Don't get me wrong. But where they truly see the goodness is when things are hard, when we lose much, when the tears are real, and still in the midst of the tears, we can go praise Jesus. He is so good to me. That's transformational. 
When we lose everything that everyone else values so much and still in the midst of the tears which are real, we can go, but praise Jesus, he is so good to me. People start looking at us and they're going, what's with you? I don't understand you. Why is it in the midst of this incredible chaos you have a non-anxious presence? Help me understand that. Or why, when you wrestle with anxiety like I do, you continue to have hope and an ability to take the next step. What is it with you? And we go, well, we've seen Jesus. And there's nothing that compares to him. And then people who understand that, who see Jesus and understand the beauty of him, are willing to sacrifice much for the good of everyone else because whatever they lose is nothing compared to what they have in Jesus. You know, I've heard people sometimes say, hey, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. But Paul said, because you're heavenly minded, you are so earthly good because you are willing to sacrifice everything here on earth because of what we have been given through heaven. This is amazing, you guys. This is what God has called us to. When we have a vision for Jesus Christ, when we see the reality of Jesus, we boldly proclaim that reality to the next generation through our words, yes, and through our lives, yes, especially in the context of suffering, and it's transformative. But we don't suffer well if we don't see Jesus well, and he calls us into that. He does radical, great work. Jesus will build his church in ways we don't expect. He will build his church with people that we don't expect. He will build his church in the midst of suffering that we don't expect. And he will build his church by continuing to be with us even when we don't expect it. At the very end of the passage, as it's coming to the end of the journey of Saul and and people are now starting to understand that he's been given his life over to the Lord and he's trying to share, it says this in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And was built up, was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You know, Paul had an experience, but his seeing of Jesus didn't end at the experience. It became a part of his walking, and the church followed, and they continued to walk daily, walking in the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is not like a terror of what might happen to them. It's a sense of awe and reverence in the majesty of something. They had this awe and this sense of majesty of the Father, the transcendent nature of God, how big and amazing and awesome he is. But not only that, they also walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was present, drawing, renewing, transforming. There was both transcendency, amazing, great, and intimacy, loving, caring. And because they were seeing and experiencing this beauty of Jesus, it transformed them. And they went forward and the church grew because people started seeing something that resonated deep in their soul. They saw the beauty of Jesus and Jesus built his church. And this is what he's calling us to. I think there's two questions that I would ask when I think about this. Number one, I'd ask the question, hey, are we engaging the mission that Jesus is calling us to? Are we leaning into the mission? Are we leaning into radically loving Jesus and self-sacrificially loving the people around us? Why? Because Jesus has called us to that and there's nothing that compares to Jesus. So we'll gladly sacrifice for the other. How beautiful is that? Are we leaning into the mission? And some of us are going, well, if I'd only experienced God, maybe I would do mission. But the other truth of it is this, that it's in doing mission that we actually experience the goodness of God. Do you know why camp is so transforming for young people? Why I advocate so much for camp? Because at camp, kids are on mission, and they're positioned in this place where if God doesn't come through, they don't know if they can make it through, and God comes through. 
And they experience God working in and through them on mission. You know, one of the things that Jesus said consistently throughout the scriptures, when he would call people to go on mission, he would say, and I am with you, I am with you. It's in the going that we experience the presence of Jesus, and that's the intimacy we long to. And maybe the question is this, not only are we on mission for Jesus, but are we leaning into intimacy with Jesus? And as we lean towards intimacy, his presence transforms us, and we become the people who radically serve for the good of others, and his church grows. Not in the ways we'd expect it to, but in the ways that he works. And he is so good. Let me pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Man, you're good. We love the stories that we get to read in scriptures of how you have built your church in incredibly difficult times. And when we see you working there, It reminds us that you can work now, and you are working now. And this is not beyond your reach. This moment that we are in right now, right here, is not beyond you. We have seen your faithfulness. Father, could you continue to open our eyes to see your faithfulness now? And not just like see your faithfulness, but experience your presence. And may your presence in us move us to mission as as we lean into mission, may we even go deeper in our experience with you. And we pray this, Lord, for your glory, that people would see how beautiful you are, how good you are. We pray this for our good because this is what we have been designed for. We have been designed for you. And we pray this for the good of all people. You are calling us to go and serve others, to bring your way of self-sacrificially working for the good of others. And in that journey, your church will grow. In your name, amen.